John G. Patton. Uh, this was a great read because it goes along the narrative of his life. A lot of you read uh, more theology, um, theology books where it tells you what to believe. Um, but John Patton this goes through his life and it shows how, it doesn't really talk about his beliefs necessarily, but it talks about how his beliefs impacted his life and how it shaped each decision that he made and how he spent his time. And so it follows his life. And the, the four main categories that I'm going to be talking about is his home, pastoral ministry, his call to missions, and his faithful service in missions. So the first is his home. I want to look at two main characters in his home, his father and his mother. I'm going to read this passage from the book. It says this about his father. How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all around us, around all, all of us around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul in tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of our living Savior and learned to know him and love him as our divine friend. As we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light on my father's face and wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to his prayers, I might have the privilege and be prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. His father talks about in discipline, before his father would discipline any of his children, he would go to his study to pray, showing that his father's authority ultimately came from his father's father's authority and I love how his father set that example in the house of leading his family passionate for family worship passionate in going to church every Sunday even though it was four miles away and they didn't have a car they would walk blizzard and torrential rain didn't matter they would walk four miles and the children loved it That's amazing. and even his, his mother was sick and so she couldn't go and so they would all return on a Sunday afternoon and joyously talk about the sermon. The kids sharing their takeaways while the father led the discussion. It's a great picture of father leading his home to love the Lord and his mother too. This is one of her prayers that she prayed often for her children. Oh my children, love your heavenly father. Tell him in faith and prayer all your and pray all your needs. He will supply your wants so far as it shall be for your good and for his glory. And so they were taught dependence upon God from an early age. That all things are done for our good, but ultimately for his own glory. And that was a house that he was raised in. His parents had 11 children, so they definitely filled the earth and, dis and discipled their kids. And it makes me think of this verse in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And this was certainly true of the patent home. They taught their children things of God and to love the Lord. And it wasn't taught to them only with words, but it, that was the life of their father and their mother. 
and this is not to boost the, the look of his father, but to show the power of God in saving John Patrick's through the faithful service of his father. Proverbs 22, start. Children off on the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. And this proverb is certainly true of John Patton. So his home was house rich of song always, and his father always talking about the things of God. And from there, it led him into pastoral ministry. Um, in school, he was self-educated. He tried going to school, and he was bullied. A lot so he withdrew and was self-educated he studied about two hours a day and helped his dad for four to six hours a day for the rest um, and so by 1858 he was ordained by the reformed presbyterian church he became a teacher at one of the churches that was dying and from there that boosted a career into pastoral ministry where he became pastor of a church in glasgow and it was a dying church, but the Lord used him mightily in this church to revive it and to share the gospel with many weary souls and lost souls and to strengthen them in the gospel. Um, the book talks about how he would run block by block to wake up people Sunday mornings to get them into church. <laughs> and he would do this every single week, knocking on doors, waking people up, getting them to church. He would teach lectures before church, before preaching. He'd preach a lengthy sermon, and the rest of the Sunday was spent visiting congregants, caring for them, and you know, shepherding the, the people that God had entrusted him with. And the people in his church loved him, and it was hard when they heard rumors that he might be leaving them. This leads to his call to missions. There was a missionary society that had one of their um, missionaries get killed by the cannibals in the New um, Hebrides. And so they approached John Patton and they explained the situation and he thought about it for very long and each time he thought about it and prayed about it, he was convicted to go. But his congregants didn't want him to go. And so it was, it was a hard thing to wrap his head around. And the book talks about four main reasons why he agreed to go to the New Hebrides. The first one was he was thinking about the souls of those people, the damnation that they were lost and they needed to hear the gospel. This was an eternal view that convicted me. I don't often see people as souls I see them as physical bodies this was different with John Patton he knew that they needed the gospel and he thought who else would go this is the most dangerous place really in the, in the earth it's our cannibals who will feast on any visitors and so there's a lack of laborers and he knew this and this motivated him even more to go he took godly um, advice. He asked his parents. And it talks about how if his parents said no, he probably wouldn't have gone. But his parents were all for it because they had, they had raised him and prayed for him to be a pastor and to be a missionary. 
His father wasn't able to, and that was his father's wish that, and prayer that all of his sons would give their life to ministry. Mm. And so they, they pleaded for him to go, knowing that their son might be eaten alive. And for he saw the pastoral gifting that he had. He spent many years in the church, and the Lord blessed his, his work. And so he knew sober-mindedly that he had a gifting to be a pastor, to shepherd a people, to give his life for the sake of the church. And so with that, he left. He left 14 days after he got married in 1958. This leads to his faithful service. His times there were full of sorrow and hardship. Three months in, his wife died of disease. And two weeks later, after his wife died, his son died, his newborn son. And that left him in just so much despair. And he talks about how if it wasn't for um, the other missionaries supporting him, it would have been very hard to stay. But his sole motive of exalting Christ in his missions motivated him still through the suffering and hardships. And there's a couple um, just gnarly stories I wanted to share with you. I can't share all of them, but there's a couple that I wanted to. One's about a witch doctor. It says this, Witchcraft was common, often had denied the witch doctors had any power over him. With love and mental bursting through his veins, he said, I challenge all of your priests to unite and kill me by sorcery or nahak. If on Sabbath next I come again into your village in health, you will all admit that your gods have no power over me, and that I am protected by the true living Jehovah God. When their plans failed, Pat succeeded in giving them the gospel. And so these people were so enamored with their witchcraft that they thought they could take John Patton out. He's, it reminds me of, of the um, story in Samuel with, um, what is it? Tell me <laughs> the, head, the head, um, the tower. Dagon? Dagon, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it reminds me of. It's so nice. awesome. Um, and the second was they were coming after him um, one night and their guns and he was trying to escape. This is the story. Now on the run, Patton left all of his belongings and escaped over land where a friendly chief hid him up in a tree. As the Puritans have said, when God lays men on their backs, they look upward to heaven. With danger below, Patton looked upward. And this is the quote from him. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages, yet I sat there among the branches, as safe in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw me near and speak more soothingly to my soul. And when the moonlight flickered among these chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus, Alone, 
yet not alone. If it were to glorify my God, I would not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship, if thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the, in the blush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? And a lot of the work that he's known for in his mission work was he came to this island not knowing their language at all. And it tells of the story where he finally found out how to ask them questions. The uh, islander came up to him with another buddy and they said some phrase and he understood it as, what is that? The islander was asking his friend, what is that pointing at John Patton? And so the friends that John Patton eventually would make, everything he would point to, saying this one phrase that he heard, and they would start saying these words, and finally he had some grasp of their language. And through that, he, he labored day and night to translate the Bible in their own language. And this took almost his entire life to translate. In 19, 1899, the New Testament was complete and established on 25 out of 30 islands. It's easy to say how many years he was on these islands, but each year was 364 days of laboring with them under dangerous um, situations. He didn't know if he would wake up the next morning. They were trying to kill him because he would not like them. There's another story where it talks about that they wanted to kill him by setting everything around him on fire and he was stuck in his house. So either he had two options, to burn alive in his house or to leave his house where they were waiting with muskets and be shot to death. And he was praying in his house, saying, Lord, do something. I can't do anything. And the Lord threw down rain. And he went out of his house, and the people and the islanders were terrified. They were about to kill him, but they were terrified because they knew this was the God that John Patton claimed was God. And so it doesn't talk a lot about his theological beliefs, but only in his life can you, not only his life, but in the book, his life, you can see he loved the Lord. <clears throat> he gave his life in ministry to exalt Jesus. He cared about the heathen world and wanted them to convert. So a couple of the personal reflections. So the example of his father and his home. His father loved the Lord and wanted his children to as well. And every day he was, did not lack in family worship, did not cease to talk about the things he was learning or to pray with his children. But he poured himself out, not to look good, but because he knew that God was faithful to hear his prayers, to hear the prayers of his children and his wife, and lived an honest life and he was not rich by any means but he did not care mm -hmm. and John Piper um, says this about his father the impact of his, of his father's faith and prayer and love and discipline was immeasurable oh fathers you please with fathers read and be filled with longing mm -hmm. 
second was his zeal for the gospel. Men's life was marked by this zeal and boldness and courage. And this convicted me so much because I can have no zeal and really not care. Have no love or urgency for the world. But can stay comfortable in my own home, doing my own things. John had poured himself out. And through him, it, it really convicted me. And overall, just his whole life is marked by the transformative power of the gospel. His pastoral ministry, shepherding his people, the Lord's people, was marked by the love that he had for them. The faithful service and even the sorrowful times on the islands, when he felt all alone, but he knew the Lord was with him, because he had the Holy Spirit. These were just the main things that reflected on me. And there's so much I can't even talk about, and that's why I hope if you haven't read the book, read it. And even the smaller book, short, but so rich. Uh, the, the bigger book is autobiography. Just tells so much of his life, so much of his father. I, I plead with you to read the book because it's so good. Mm -hmm. And it will expose so much, so much sin. And I'm sure the Lord will use it. Thank you.